What's up, everyone? We're back for another episode of Locked On Bucks. And uh, as you can see, it's actually a crossover episode of Locked On Bucks. Bucks and Pacers are getting ready to play again. Uh, Central Division rivalry. It's a, it's a really heated rivalry between the Bucks and the Pacers. So we're going to get into that with our friend Tony East from Locked On Pacers. We can talk about what the Pacers are doing. One of the more interesting teams in the league right now for reasons on the court, for reasons off the court. We're going to get into all of it. So let's get started. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win Locked on Bucks, Locked on Pacers crossover. I am one of your hosts, uh, Kane Pippen. You can see and hear me on this show daily and also find my work over at ESPN. And uh, joining me, the great man, Tony East. Tony Eastern Conference is here from Locked on Pacers. Tony, what's going on, man? This is this is good to be able to knock this out. Not much. It's always fun to talk about the champs. I, you know, I, I always try to overhype that almost on my own show when the Pacers play the Bucks. I say champs, NBA champs, as many times as I can. Uh, so I, it's fun to talk to the person who daily covers the NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. I hope you lead off with that every day. Yeah, I probably should more often, actually. But it's funny that you say that because when the Bucks are on TNT, I always joke about Reggie Miller, who he when he's talking about Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday... Now he calls them the Olympian every single time. So if you're watching the TNT game, <laughs> he'll call the Bucks the world champions about 7,000 times, which is always a fun reminder. But then with Drew Holiday and Chris Milton, he'll call them the Olympian or the gold medalist. And he just runs with that uh, over and over and over again, which uh, I, I always bring up and I find uh, quite funny. But before we dive into this, I should say today's episode is brought to you by True Bill. True Bill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you don't want or need and can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep. And we should also say, Tony, that uh, we thank everyone for making Locked On Bucks and Locked On Paces their first listen of each and every day. We really appreciate that, whether it's with the podcast platforms, whether it's the YouTube, whatever it may be. But I think the best way to start this, Tony, for me anyway, I was watching Pacers and Warriors, as were, I assume, millions and millions of people around the world. And the Pacers narrowly, I mean, lost the game, but narrowly avoided history. I so badly wanted to see it happen. I mean, on Reggie Miller's court, too, it would have been, you know, and Steph kind of said that any game you could spin the narrative, right? They played the Sixers. Saturday against his brother and they're in the garden and like an hour from when we're recording this and they he's in Reggie's house. He's in the house that Ray broke it in on Thursday. Like he could have spun a narrative anyway, but as someone who grew up in Indiana, you know, in Reggie Miller's building was really cool. And Steph's one of those players. Like I, I go to every Pacers game. I try to watch like you know, LeBron's warm up, Giannis warm up, KD warm up. I always try to watch them and everybody's there for Steph's warm up. There's like 2000 fans who come into the, I know you've seen it before from your buck side. So you know, it, it's crazy the draw he has and it, to, to, to be in a game where everybody thought they were going to see history as he took the chance to, to tie the record with 13 seconds left. It was an unreal night and it was the most Pacers game possible where they don't quite see the record. They barely lose on a game where most of their players 
play to the standard you expect. It, it's just it was kind of their season in a nutshell, basically. So a, a disappointing loss and no record was about exactly how I could have expected that night to go before it started. Well, I've said this before that the the field house is actually one of my favorite buildings to go to in the NBA. I just think it's so cool. I just think it's so unique and such a cool building. And that crowd was going nuts. You could see that everyone was anticipating what was about to happen. Personally, the reason why I started watching basketball originally was because of Ray Allen. So this this whole, you know, tying all this together is really awesome. And like you said, they'll probably get it done or he'll probably get it done tonight at Madison Square Garden. But as we lock into Bucks and Pacers, so Last time the Bucks beat the Pacers, I think I might have been watching the game on a delay. And we do these locked on now post game videos uh, where it's just a, a one minute clip and you sort of recap the game and, and I guess preview the podcast you're about to do. And I think I messaged our group DM and said, I'm watching this game on a delay. I don't think I'm going to have a time to do a locked on now. And you said, It's all good, man. Just like post the locked on now from the last 10 times the Bucks have played the Pacers. <laughs> And I looked this up, and this isn't a great surprise, but in the Budenholzer era, the Bucks have really hardly ever lost to the Central Division. But they're 11-2 and two against the Pacers. One of those losses, Giannis didn't play. The, the loss that Giannis did play, I was also at this game, December 12, 2018. Giannis only had six shots for the entire game, 12 points. And the reason why, because Thad Young locked him down and went absolutely bonkers. But to your point, um, this didn't has Giannis been one say after that after- game that... Thad is the Thad Young was the best defender on him in the league at that point in time. I think he said that after that game. I'll never forget it. I mean, it was ridiculous. He couldn't do anything. <laughs> and that game, it's kind of crazy to think that was back in 2018. But again, to your point, you were right. This has been kind of one-way traffic um, these last few seasons. It's it's really brutal how bad the Pacers have been against this team. And you know, like Giannis is obviously amazing. Like I don't want to belittle their inability to stop him at all because he is what he is. No team can stop him, but. The types of players the Pacers struggle against are these bigger, bulkier wings. And Giannis is that, but like it's not to that level. It's like Miles Bridges kills them, Gordon Hayward, Ananobi, Mikhail Bridges, Harrison Barnes, that type of player. They all have really good scoring nights or really good offensive nights against the Pacers, right? And the Bucs have two guys like that in Middleton and Giannis who on any possession, one of them has a significant matchup advantage, right? So the Pacers are already really overcompensating or overhelping to stop that guy. And then, you know, not this season, but in history, Brooke Lopez or Drew Holiday or DiVincenzo or Pat Connaughton always plays well against the Pacers, I think. Like, all these guys are way more open than they than they are in other games, and it just snowballs. I always shoot well from three against the Pacers. They defend very well against the Pacers because the matchups just dictate it so well for the Bucks. And, yeah, that game that I, I said – Kane, you're fine. You don't have to do a lockdown now. It's deja vu. Like, they were one point away from matching the score exactly from a game last season in Milwaukee. Like, it, it feels like the same script every game. The Pacers claw around, and they're within five-ish in the middle of the second quarter, and then they lose by 20. Well, we'll see what happens this one. You mentioned Chris Milton. He, uh, let's, it's safe to say he's going to miss this game after the knee hyperextension, I should say against the Boston Celtics. It'll be one less player that you have to worry about. But the Bucs, like most teams, have been battling injuries and all sorts of uh, issues throughout the season so far. But you mentioned the Pacers have been playing well. So before that 102-100 loss to the Warriors, they'd won three in a row. So in terms of the on-court product, what are we seeing with the Pacers here over the last couple of weeks? Because it was two weeks ago, we are open for business. Everyone's like, what's going on with the Pacers? Now these guys somewhat seem to be figuring it out. Yeah, they've had a they had a nice weekend, um, one full weekend before the one that just happened, which that was their first time this season. They had two days off in a row at home all season, right? They played every other day 
all season except for one break, and their one break was in the altitude in Denver, right? They had played the most games by a, a lot, I think by two or three games in the NBA prior to that season. So that weekend, they had one full day of rest. No practice. Don't even come in to shoot around nothing. Then the next day, they had like a training camp style practice where they went a lot harder and really ironed some stuff out. And since then, they've looked a lot crisper, a lot fresher. You know, they were all talking about like energy and being lethargic in games. They've really cleaned that up since then. Their only loss was to the one of the best three teams in the NBA and the Warriors by two points. Like, that's fine, whatever. So one of it is just they got to reset from a really brutal opening schedule, lots of travel, lots of good opponents. But two is they've kind of drastically changed their offensive um i don't know what the perfect word is not philosophy but like how they're playing you know they weren't going through sabonis enough way not enough and this past week they gave him the ball way more often he was eastern conference player of the week because he was scoring rebounding and assisting in the way that he is so good at when he gets the ball enough and he did that every game he was had 30 and 11 against the warriors he was excellent in that game as well so they've they've put more of an emphasis on him having the ball more which seems really obvious but was something they kind of went away from and they were handling the ball on the perimeter too much during their losing streak. And the other thing is they have reinvigorated their defense. Karis LeVert uh, was really challenged defending Bradley Beal. And since that Wizards game has defended really well, Brogdon's point of attack defense, as Bucks fans know and well, is pretty good, but it's been at a, another level. You know, he defended Steph pretty well, preventing the record on Monday. Like they've actually gotten better on D, which they needed badly as well. So Figuring out their offense a little bit, getting it to Sabonis, getting into the paint more in general has helped them. And then on defense, they're just playing at a level that they weren't earlier in this season. So it's interesting. You said a couple of things that made me think of Rick Carlisle, and we are going to get to Rick Carlisle here in just a second. Uh, but there were plenty of Bucks fans that had the stance that uh, they wanted Rick Carlisle to be the coach of the Bucks, particularly during that playoff run. But speaking of stance, Tony, founded in 2009, Stance Apparel represents a radical reinvention of socks, underwear, and active apparel with a sharp focus on comfort, quality, and creativity. Stance brings an atypical aesthetic alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborators for the ultimate in style and self-expression because everything you wear should be a direct extension of who you are and how you feel. Uh, do you have a favorite style or pair of Stance socks? Uh, I'm looking at this, the Batman, the Goonies, Star Wars, The Office, Harry Potter, Disney. It seems like... You've got basically anything you want. Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in, that those who feel good do good. Go see for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and get 15% off your first purchase. Use promo code Locked On at checkout to apply. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. Just remember to use the code Locked On at stance.com. All right, as we come back here, we again, we thank you all for making Locked On Bucks and Locked On Paces your first listen of every single day. Uh, like I always tell our listeners, if you want a second podcast to listen to, listen to our friend Peter Bukowski over at Locked On Packers. The Packers are rolling. They won again on the weekend. I'm sure that makes a lot of our listeners happy. Uh, speaking of our listeners and being happy here on Locked On Bucks, though, during the postseason run, and I believe this was during the second round series against the Brooklyn Nets, uh, word got around that Rick Carlisle was going to be available, and there was a strong push from Bucks fans to just sack Mike Budenholzer mid-series. Just get rid of him after Game Two. The Bucks are down two zero to the Nets. It's not going to matter. They're not going to win this series. We need to ensure that we have Rick Carlisle coaching the Bucks now. Of course, he's gone to Indiana. How has that process been uh, so far, Tony? Interesting. Uh, to I, I, it's a hard, perfect word to nail down um you know if you look at their numbers right 
They are top 10, I think, right now. Uh, they fell to 11th. They're 11th in net rating. They're 13th in defense. Lloyd Pierce is helping a lot there. And they're 10th in offense, right? So above average on both ends. And that's good. If you told me that right now, you'd, you'd think they're a lot better than 12 and 17. But they're 12 and 17. They have a lot of weirdness that happens every game. There's some stretch where something stupid happens. And this is a trend that happened when he was the coach of the Mavs as well. They stink, stink, stink at the end of games. They lose. They're one and nine in games decided by less than five points. Over half their losses are by less than five points. Like that is, just, it sounds like unbelievable to say out loud, but they just stink in these close games. So he's really good at a lot of things. Like he, 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 he's taught his team very well how to play multiple roles on every possession so guys can be interchangeable, and that helps a lot in transition. And when they're not calling plays and they're flowing at the right pace, they look really good, right? Last week when they won three in a row, they were doing that no problem. But there are some times where he calls too many plays and slows it down, and their defense gets a little out of whack, and there's you know four or five minutes where they don't throw it inside as much, and then they get, they get smoked for those five minutes and look terrible, and then they have to play clutch time and they lose. So definitely has some flaws, and I think that – you know, in Dallas, he coached Dirk for forever, right? And then right after Dirk was gone, even with Dirk early on the team still, they got Luka, right? So he's always had a star or someone ascending to that level on his team to kind of play through and play around. And this year, his team succeeds more when they win with balance. So I think that not only has it been a learning experience for the Pacers to learn how to play for their third coach in three years, but Carlisle's kind of had to think about how he wants to coach a team that plays differently than the ones he's coached for the last 12 years. So or 13 years. So he's doing a good job, I think. Like the stuff he's doing is clearly working by the numbers, but they're 12 and 17. So it's hard to really figure out exactly how it's going. I think philosophy wise, it's, it's pretty good for the team they have. He has a little too much focus on three point shooting for a team that doesn't have a lot of shooters, but, you know, it's not, it's not the roster. He was not a part of any of the decision making for this team. So we'll see how that plays out in the next two or three seasons. Uh, but, but I think he's doing a pretty good job despite them being 12 and 17, which is weird to say. And, Players seem to like the way he coaches them, and he always is willing to take ownership when when things go wrong, and he actually messes up, which I think is is good and enlightening for players sometimes. So I think he's doing a pretty good job despite the team being 12 and 17, which is weird to say, but it's going pretty well. Yeah, well, I was curious just in our first segment when you were talking about the fact that Sabonis wasn't getting enough touches or the the sort of the offense wasn't filtering through him, which if you've watched the paces in recent years, um, clearly he's a guy that can fill it up. And I was I was wondering about what we saw in Dallas, and clearly there was some frustration with Kristaps Porzingis, and he was kind of just standing in the corner. And I wonder when you have a, such a ball dominant guard like Luka Doncic, and then you come to this team, maybe for him, does it feel like there's been an adjustment of okay, what can we do with Sabonis? How can we put run the, the offense through him? And now, as you said, we're only a, a third of the way through the season. Maybe things are starting to iron out a little bit. Yeah, definitely a learning curve there. And the other thing about Sabonis is, unlike any player Carlisle's ever coached, even beyond the star level, like he never had a big who could really pass it and shoot it. And to the point about Porzingis, like Turner's going through that right now. You know, there's the report in The Athletic about him going on the record and saying, you know, my role is too small. I want to promote, as he told us the next day, like I want a promotion. Like if you do the same thing for six years and you're good at it, at your company, non-basketball job, you'd want a promotion. I'm the same way. I want a promotion. And if you look at the way Porzingis was sometimes used last year with the Mavs, you know, same kind of deal where he thinks he's better than he is and he's stuck in the corner or stuck just being a screener or whatever. Like, I get it. So I definitely think Carlisle is learning how to use everybody on his team. But Sabonis was one that there were some games, everyone, everyone watching the game, even it felt like Sabonis and some guys on the team were like, we did not get him the ball enough. Like he needed, he needed it more like eight shots against Miami a few weeks ago. They got smoked that night. 
right? Eight shots against Milwaukee a couple times ago when they played. He didn't play that much in that game, but they also got smoked that night. A few games this season where he's taken seven or less against Detroit and Charlotte. They lost both of those. Just some perplexing, like, why isn't he having the ball more kind of performances? He's their best creator. So Carlisle is figuring that out, certainly. I think it took him a little more time given his skill set and the way he's coached before. But uh, certainly also, though, a lot, like you said, a lot of the Mavs' problems still are something that I think he's figuring out in his head. So obviously we've got to ask about Malcolm Brogdon at some point. And I know you've been doing the rounds. You've been doing the rounds with the trade discussion. So we'll get to that as well. Bucks fans were very interested about um, what came to the table. But just in general, so you mentioned the standings. You mentioned the fact you're 12 and 17. But right now, and there's, there's tw- you've played 29 games. So you've got 53 games left in this season. A hell of a lot of basketball to be played. You're only two games out of a play-in tournament spot. And I know that a team, certainly like Indiana, don't, don't come into the season saying, geez, I hope we can make the play-in tournament. The goal is probably a lot higher than that. But how do you view the season? It's, it's not a write-off yet. Is that is that where you guys are at, particularly given the uptick in form the last uh, week or so here? Yeah, I don't think that the Pacers will ever be a, a mid-season write-it-off yeah. kind of team. Like in franchise history, their last pick inside the top 10, like sometimes I say this and the co-host or a listener doesn't know and it blows their mind. Their last pick inside the top 10 was 1989. Like they just don't do that. <laughs> they never blow it up. They never go process or whatever. And even for just one year, they don't go that low, right? So that is not what they do. And I understand why one headline can make people think, oh, what a teardown might be coming or the season might be bad. But the, the history of the Pacers says no way. They're probably going to retool, I think, given what we've heard from Turner's comments and the team in general. But how does that play into the season? How do I feel about their start is that, you know, last year they were 34 and 38. And they had a new head coach in Bjorkren and COVID season last year. Like, everything was weird last year, whatever. But this year they're under 500 again. And now it's less surprising when they were bad last year. So I'm not, like, stunned. You know, their schedule was really hard. They've lost a bunch of close games, which some people say is is a luck thing. You know, like, it's such a small sample of possessions in the last two minutes of games. But at the same time, it's clearly a pattern. And they've, they've definitely struggled since the start of last season. Basically, since they traded Oladipo, they haven't been as good of a team as they were when he was on the team. So uh, I definitely think that most would call the start of their season disappointing. You know, 12 and 17 is what it is. They definitely can reach the plan. They're definitely clicking more. They have an easier schedule in the second half than the first half as their coach has more time to implement systems. Like all this stuff suggests they'll be a team that gets better as the season goes on. But if they deal guys, then maybe not. So I don't think the start of their season is surprising or out of character necessarily. Uh, given how the start of their schedule was like I went game by game through the schedule on a, on a podcast in the offseason to see where I thought they'd be right now. And I had them at 14 wins. So they're only two behind, which isn't that crazy. Um, but when they're in 13th, given the team they have, it feels a little surprising. So I would say slightly disappointing, but not outlandishly disappointing, but definitely think that change could change the nature of the discussion of their season. So it might not be a fire sale, but I would bet that the Pacers make at least one trade. But uh, speaking oh, 100%, of betting, 100%. 100%. But speaking of betting, Tony, bet online has you covered for all season, uh, has you covered all season for more props, odds, and lines than ever before, uh, particularly with football as they're on the road to the postseason. There, bet online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. You can head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code locked on to receive that bonus there. And whether it's football, basketball, Hockey, boxing, UFC, whatever it is, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. And uh, if you are perusing betonline.ag, uh, naturally, 
you're going to need a snack for that job. And there's there's no better snack than Built Bar. This holiday season, grab a, the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Uh, many would say, including me, perhaps better than a candy bar as well. It's filled with so much holiday goodness, rich and decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat. Uh, it's also high in protein. So anyway, you're getting the best of both worlds. It's delicious and healthy. There are so many different flavors uh, that you can choose from, whether it's raspberry and mint brownie, cherry, double chocolate, cookies and cream, or peanut butter and brownie, uh, peanut butter brownie. They're, they're all right there. You guys know it. Just go to built.com and you'll be able to check out all those flavors and pick which one suits you. And uh, it's the perfect time to do it. I've said this before, but whatever your normal dessert is on Christmas, just seriously, just chuck a plate of built bars down on the table and the, the family is going to be pumped. I, I can guarantee that. So just go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That's LOCKED15, 15% off at built.com. All right, let's get to your favorite part or the, certainly, certainly the part that you were most anticipating um, coming into this podcast. So trades, uh, and I'll, and I'll firstly, I will say, I don't think that there's any way that there can be a trade between the Bucks and Pacers. We discussed it. There was a lot of excitement around this. And for the reasons that you just asked, I don't see the Pacers having any interest in Brook Lopez coming off back surgery. I don't see the Pacers having any interest in a major trade in Dante DiVincenzo, another guy that's had... Uh, an extended injury history. Although you did take Malcolm Brogdon, a guy that is always injured with different various ailments along the way. So maybe there would be some interest in a guy like DiVincenzo. But uh, when you have been discussing trades and thinking through it and any attractive options, have the, have the Milwaukee Bucks ever come up in your mind, Tony? Uh, not not really because you know if Lopez wasn't <laughs> hurt, like maybe yeah. you could kick around him being sort of involved somehow. But I don't think the Pacers want to go from two centers to a different two centers. And in my head, like at a time in the past, I've thought of Levert kind of being helpful for the Bucks. But I mean, he he hasn't been like recently. He's been a lot better. Uh, he's been a big factor in them playing a lot better of late. But early in the season, he was he was struggling to the point that like DiVincenzo is probably better. Like right now, like why would the Bucks do any sort of thing where they get Levert with and DiVincenzo is kind of their only interesting asset to me. Like Noir has been interesting, I suppose. And they don't have like embarrassing young guys, but you know, the bucks don't have a ton of assets after trading so many firsts for Drew. So it's really hard to come up with something fascinating because I feel like DiVincenzo would be the thing. And you know, Brooke is like I said, Brooke's not really a good fit. And I, I don't think anyone else would, would make any sense. So it's, it's kind of hard to come up with what the bucks would want to do. And the Pacers would want to do making sense together. Yep, totally agree. Uh, I don't think we need to spend too much more time on it. And uh, to your point, <laughs> right off the, to to your point, right off the top, uh, if Brook Lopez wasn't coming off back surgery, then there's no chance that he would be getting traded in the first place. So right. it's it's, it's right. kind of a it's kind of a pointless conversation to have, to be honest. Um, but one guy that isn't going to be traded is Malcolm Brogdon. He signed that extension in the off season, so he can't be traded through this season. What's the uh, well, I don't know what the right word is here. How do, let me just put it this way. How do Pacers fans feel about Malcolm Brogdon? I think fans are finally coming around to him being good. Like at first, people weren't that into his talent, which was strange to me this year. He's been awesome. Uh, I've I've kind of maintained for a while that I thought he was the best player on the team when healthy. Uh, so if his three ball is falling this year, this would easily be his best season and stretch as a Pacer. Like he's been much better finishing around the rim than he ever has in his career prior to the season, which has made him a lot better now that he can drive and really be a threat. 67% at the rim this season. 
mostly around like high 50s in percentages in past seasons, right? That's made him a lot more dynamic. His passing has been pretty crisp. The, where he gets the stick up with fans, and he never had to do this for all Milwaukee, so it's kind of strange, is like the Pacers signed him and they were like, we love the value we got here at point guard, right? And they've been like, this is our point guard, point guard, you're the one. Fans don't think he's a point guard, right? And he has shown in his career both when sharing the court with Depot or Laverne and in Milwaukee for three years that he's fantastic off ball, right? He's an awesome catch and shoot guy who can break down a, like the, the defense as a secondary creator. And he never does that, right? He's always tasked with being the point guard and fans don't view him in that way as a point guard or a traditional point guard at all, which has kind of soured some fans on him, but I think he's playing very well on both ends this year. So it's a weird dichotomy of people who think, yeah, he's good, but he's in the wrong role, but what other role can he even play on this team? You know, McConnell's hurt and Levert's been kind of kind of rough. So he has to be your point guard. So it's been a weird yin and yang thing for fans. And you brought it up earlier. But the other thing is, like, I think half the, the replies to my tweets these days say the best ability is availability. And he always misses, you know, 20, 25 games every season. This year's been pretty healthy outside of uh, getting strep throat on a road trip. So this is the season so far of his best health since joining the Pacers. So hopefully that can maintain for this team that is 12 and 17. But yeah, so it's a weird thing where he's definitely good, but everyone who watches this team every night feels like he's in slightly the wrong role. Yeah, I mean, it's still a controversial topic to bring up with Bucks fans as well, because clearly, um, you know, from what DiVincenzo has done to this point in his career to what Grayson Allen has done to this point in his career, um, Malcolm Brogdon's a better player, but there is only so much value you can get out of your fifth starter. And clearly it was a decision made that with the combination of health, with the combination of maximizing this player, um, that it maybe wasn't something the Bucks wanted to go and do. But you even see it with guys like Grayson Allen right now, who's been fantastic for the Bucks playing that starter's role. But now that some of the guys have come back, his shot attempts have, have come right down. He's not doing as much in the, in the offense. It's just the nature of being that fifth guy. So clearly um, this was a, a good spot for Brogdon to go. He's going to have the ball on his hands and, yeah, if you watch the Pacers game, you'll see that he's still the same guy that we saw here in Milwaukee, just more volume, more opportunities um, to get the ball. So I, I've always liked him. I, I also like the decision. I, I didn't like this decision to the fact that they got nothing, really, um, for Malcolm Brogdon. I thought that they should have probably signed him and then done something later on. But in terms of his fit in Milwaukee, I think they've been able to cover that gap um, just fine. But I would agree. He, he may be an underrated player, I think. Wherever he goes, he seems, seems to be the kind of guy that's polarizing with fan bases. Uh, I have a question for you that relates to Brogdon. Like Drew, Drew Holiday and Brogdon are basically equivalent statistical passers in terms of assists. Like, Do you view Drew as a true point guard? Do you even care? Does it actually matter? Is that a thing that actually matters in the NBA anymore? Why do fans care about this? Who cares who is starting the player having the assist. That's how I feel. I don't I don't think it matters. I think that's a silly criticism, but I'm curious how you feel. And obviously Giannis changes a lot because he has the ball a ton, but I'm just curious how you feel about that in general. No, I, I don't think it matters in starting groups specifically because as we see it across the league, there's so many guys that can handle the ball, that can get their own shot. And the paces are kind of similar to the Bucks. If you look at Sabonis as the as the big, with Giannis as the big, that can that can pass, that can create, that can draw attention. So then it, it also, just for that matter, um, decreases the desperate need for you to have a guy running the offense because you've got multiple right. guys that can do it. I do think in the second unit, when you have bench guys that, that have less ability to create, so for the Bucks, for instance, last year really struggled without a backup point guard, essentially. We saw Jeff T getting minutes in the NBA finals. 
that wasn't ideal, and that's why having a George Hill come off the bench um, is is fantastic, and that's a, that's a really strong addition to have. But as far as starting lineups, yeah, I mean, Drew's not a true point guard, and it doesn't matter. It's it's fine. It works in this system. So I, I would agree. I, I don't think that it's an argument that I'd be getting too caught up on. I agree. It's a big waste of my time, so I usually skip over it. But I wanted to hear someone else say it before I totally wrote it off as a point. No, no, I agree with you. I think uh, unless you've got anything you want to throw at me, we are we are pretty well uh, on our allotted time slot here for our for our crossover podcast. Um, Bucks and Paces, obviously, seven p.m. Central tip. Indiana always confuses me. Be driving out there. Next thing, the time changes. I've got no idea what's going on, but I assume if I've got my time right, that's an 8 p.m. tip local in Indiana, Indianapolis. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, Kane, do you, do the Bucks win by more or less than 14 points? Well, I'm going to say less. Uh, no Chris wow. Middleton. No Chris. No Chris. Middleton. Definitely no, changes. No Brooke Lopez, obviously. DiVincenzo's first game for the season. We're excited to see him play in this one. But I'm going to go under. I'm assuming you don't agree. Huh. No, I do not. <laughs> I think the Bucks well, shoot like 54% on 63-point attempts every time they play the Pacers. So that's obviously an exaggeration, but it feels like that. Yeah, we'll see. It might be a Grayson Allen night. might be a Pat Connaughton night. We'll see how this game plays out. But either way, uh, both Locked On Bucks and Locked On Pacers will have a post-game show for you to catch up on there. As we wrap it up, don't forget about Locked On Bets. Uh, you can catch that with your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. So check out the Locked On Bets podcast if you're into that type of thing. Tony, this is always fun. It's good to catch up with you. Kane, thanks for having me. And everybody, yes, I'll be breaking down this uh, most likely Pacers loss, in my opinion, uh, on Locked On Pacers tomorrow. All right, whichever podcast you listen to first, we don't really care as long as you listen to both of them. Check out Locked on Bucks. Check out Locked on Pacers. We'll both be back after the game.